that was uh, Raging Ant Eater Radio uh, here on KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, this is Dan Sang with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the beginning of our pledge drive this week, and you can go online to KUCI.org and uh, pledge online and uh, look at the premiums there. But first, we're going to be talking with a guest today um, from the director of the uh, of a new film that's going to be the uh, closing night film at the uh, Newport Beach International Film Festival, and uh, and that is the uh, the film is called Captain Abu Raid, Raid, Raid. And with us on the phone is the film's director. Uh, Amin Matalka, yeah. Yes, Amin Matalka. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, can you uh, maybe talk about the genesis of your film and what it's about? Yeah, uh, the movie is uh, it's a Jordanian film, and it's about an airport janitor, an old man who, <clears throat> who uh, is... Uh, mistaken for a, an airline pilot by a group of kids in his uh, in his neighborhood, and it's about uh, you know the the hopes that he gives them through the stories that he weaves. Uh, at first, he denies you know he's he's just a janitor, but he he goes along with with the um, with the assumption that he's a pilot and starts telling these kids about his adventures around the world and all that. And so the movie is about how one unlikely person can have an effect on. A group of kids, you know, and um, the movie is in Arabic. It's a Jordanian movie. Uh, We—it's uh, actually the first movie to come out of Jordan for um, for the world cinemas, and uh, it's been touring. We won the audience award at Sundance in January, and we won the uh, best actor award uh, for Nadim Sawalha, our lead, uh, in Dubai, and uh, we played in Dallas and in Miami, and um, and where this will be the official uh, West Coast premiere. Yeah, your lead uh, your lead actor is, uh, has been in many uh, a couple of James Bond films also. Yes, yes, yes. He was. You know, it's funny. Nadim has always had these uh, small roles in in uh, in, uh, in American Hollywood films. He's always the guy who gets shot or thrown out the window or dies somehow. And uh, um, most recently, yeah, he was in J- some of the James Bond movies. He was also um, Sean Connery's psychic in. Uh, in the wind and the lion back in the 70s the john Williams huh. picture <clears throat> and um most recently uh, you might have recognized him for, from syriana or as the king in syriana or the uh, the the one of the magi in uh, in the nativity story the lead magi mcleor right and you, you yourself em- emigrated <laughs> from uh, jordan uh, as a was a teenager did you come to the u.s then uh, I, I moved to the U.S. when I was uh, 13 with yeah. my family, and uh, I grew up in Ohio after that. So I, I'm from Jordan. I grew up in Jordan until I was 13. Then I moved to Ohio, and I, I lived in um, in, Ohio, in the suburbs of Columbus uh, for a long time, for 14 years. And then I decided to, uh, after working in the telecom field and, and uh, studying business in, at Ohio State University, um, I decided to leave everything and, and move out to Los Angeles to pursue my my uh, first love, which is movie making. And so I I, uh, I came out here and uh, made a bunch of short films, and, and then I applied and got into the American Film Institute and uh, studied directing there. And then from there, 
while I was actually graduating, I was already in Jordan uh, shooting this movie. So we we shot this movie um, exactly exactly one year ago. Wow, um, that's fast. So we yeah. were yeah we were we were just about to start filming uh, in a couple of weeks from now. And uh, was it uh, was it uh, nostalgia for the homeland <laughs> that you went back there to film? You know, um, the movie kind of it, it captures the essence of Amman, the different layers of the city. Uh, it's a city that's never been shown on film before, huh. um, and it has so much texture to it. Um, but my father's a pilot, so I've had the, the the blessing to be able to go back, and you know, my my family um, continued went back to live in in Jordan. So um, I've <laughs> I've been going back and forth over the years. You know, I I go back at least for Christmas. Um, if not, you know, back in the college days, I would go back for the summer sure. and uh, spend time there. But, but definitely, the movie tries to capture that nostalgia of Amman. While while it is an Arabic film, I, I kind of like to say that it's it feels like those Italian films that take you to a different place. You know? Yeah, yeah. Especially looking uh, looking at it from from the point of view of uh, young people, also how they see the world, and uh, uh, it makes you want to visit it. Actually, definitely. I mean, it, at first it looked like a very kind of uh, family picture, but then it got very more serious at the end. Yeah, yeah, I tried to kind of keep it light and humorous in the beginning, and then as you as the movie uh, moves along, you you start you've invested yourself in these characters, and and it gets darker and and uh, and uh, more challenging, and and uh, you know I think we've covered all the all the genres with this uh, it's 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 got comedy it's got drama of course it's got some you know humor it's got suspense and it's got uh tragedy got emotional payoff you know yeah. that kind of thing yeah 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 definitely uh family turmoil and stuff like that uh you in the film in the credits you dedicated to your grandfather yes. was was this uh was this story you said your father was a pilot was this kind of autobiographical in some or family biographical yeah. No, it wasn't autobiographical. Oh, okay. In in in, uh, I mean, it's all a fictional story. However, the the year I started writing this film, 2005, was the year that my grandfather passed away. He was, you know, living in Jordan. He was a doctor, actually, an eye doctor. But he he lived a very humble, you know, lifestyle, and he worked in downtown Amman, where you know we go in the movie. We see some scenes down yeah. there. So and, uh, you know, he was 93 years old wow. and still working as a doctor, uh, you know, for free, uh, working with, you know, with kids. And uh, and six days a week he would go down to his clinic, uh, you know, and, and up until six days before he passed away, uh, wow. he still functioned. And, and the, the, the essence of, of Abu Ra'id, kind of the soul, I feel, comes from my grandfather because he was uh-huh. very innocent and very, you know, he looked at the world with, big open eyes you know it and and while he'd traveled to switzerland you know he studied at switzerland and he traveled the world and all this you would never know the the adventures and the sophistication of this man just from you know the setting that he lived in and uh and that's what fascinated me and and so um i tried to kind of capture his humility in the film yeah um with with the with the you know abura the lead character also, the the this Abu Rad character, uh, this janitor, actually had a whole library of his own that he uh, he would read books. 
so yeah, was, I mean, one of the yeah. themes for me in the film is that, like, he's the Renaissance man, even though his wardrobe is right. It shows him as a as a as a janitor. You know, we tend to judge people so quickly yeah, sure. <clears throat> when we pass them on the street. But what if there's so much more to them underneath that wardrobe that we don't know? And so, kind of like Mr. Miyagi, who is you know in the Karate Kid, <laughs> with, yeah. you know, the gardener, yeah. and uh, it, but he is so full of wisdom. Um, you know, something similar to that. And uh, and likewise, you know, he, he in the film he uh, he befriends a, 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 a an upper class high society airline pilot who's a lady actually, yeah. a female airline pilot, and and likewise he judges her by her wardrobe that you know she's just a pilot she probably doesn't know much about books and when they start start talking conversation uh, she impresses him with her knowledge you know of of certain literature and so. Um, you know, I think we all judge each other, but, you know, I kind of like that theme of, you know, wardrobe, but there's so much underneath it. That, sure, that sure. And, but was it, were you transgressing any boundaries by um, uh, having the woman pilot start talking to him uh, in the airport? Wouldn't, wouldn't there be a lot of, um, you know, I mean, th- th- that's a taboo thing, isn't it, to have uh, women, single women approach a guy or, or not? Um, I don't know if it's taboo, um, but I do think that, you know, we, we do have, um, social boundaries, um, you know, social class boundaries, um, religious boundaries, anyway, I mean, the whole, the whole, the the whole idea of the movie is universal themes, and I I think it's one of those themes, you know, here, you know, somebody approaches you on the street, you, you know, if they're homeless, you're, you're, you're going to brush them off and, and just walk past them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of uh, <coughs> it's kind of similar in Jordan where, you know, you're, you're less likely to, to, uh, to trust this person coming to talk to you. And, and, but they're both very different. And I love Nadim's, Nadim described Abu Ra'id with these words. He would say, um, Abu Ra'id is of this world, uh, in this world, but not of this world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, he's bigger than life and, and yet so humble. And um, and likewise, Noor, who is the pilot, you know, is is different from her social surroundings. Everybody's pressuring, you know, she's modern, and everybody's pressuring her to get married and and you know have kids and all that stuff in her family. And so they they both have their different um, they're different from their environment, and so they connect on a spiritual level. I think well, it's you, unlikely, yeah, but I think yeah. that's what's interesting about it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, did you uh, you went trying to make a film about Islamic um, uh, interactions? No, no. no, uh, inter- no. I mean, I'm inter- not interested in religion. It's yeah, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I'm not interested in religion or politics. And and you know, when people say Middle East, that's immediately yeah. what they think of. Right, for sure. Yeah, it's it's very uninteresting to me, and it's very it's very easy to stereotype. You know, the 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 Middle East as a place where it's just about Islamism and all that stuff, but it's 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 both it's bull, <laughs> it's garbage. You know, it's there's so much uh-huh. more to to these people uh, to to that world than uh, than uh, than the face that the media has painted over it. And you've depicted the class differences in the society, and also the struggle of the the working, yeah. the poor, the working poor who have to. The kids have to go out, and some of the kids have to go out and sell candy on the street instead of going to school. Yeah, yeah. The more the more Abu Raya tries to, to to affect their lives, you know, as he discovers some of the things in their lives, the more he discovers, 
you know, grimmer things, I guess. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, we made this film a year ago, and inflation has always been kind of an issue. But now, even even a year after the film uh, was made, inflation has become a bigger issue. Yeah. Prices of gas, and even here, the price of gas and price of right. food and everything is a, is, a, is a central issue. I mean, it's, it's kind of something that's always been um, there. But now, more than ever, it's, it's prominent. And, and so that's one of the things, the socioeconomic um, situation of, of certain characters in the film um, cause, you know, issues that Abu Ra'id has to kind of try to help with. So. How about the domestic violence uh, issue uh, that you depicted? Is that uh, a common thing, or, uh, or is that more coming out of the closet, so to speak, so that people are talking about it? Oh, wait, well, um, yeah. you know, I, I, in researching, um, in, in writing the script, initially I did like 30 drafts of the script, and <laughs> initially there was no conflict in it, uh, other than it was a movie about uh, the friendship between these people from different social classes. And then I started to kind of say, okay, well, I want something real and universal and something yeah. relatable across, you know, cultures. And so I, I found that that is one issue that is not talked about very much over there, but it's starting to become more, you know, more more um, dealt with. There, there are, I think, six or seven uh, sh- shelters or child abuse centers for kids to, for kids and women to, to speak out and, and express themselves and, and that sort of thing in Jordan, in Amman now, and so there's more. Um, coming out, and uh, so I met with them, and I, I researched, and I, I met with some of the kids, and talked to them, and saw their paintings, and and met with um, some of the the employees who worked there, you know, the the volunteers, and, uh-huh. and got to understand the psychology of that, and um, and I think it's something that, again, is not just there. It's something that happens in the states. It's something that happens in Europe. It sure. happens in Africa, everywhere, and so. I found that it was it fit very um, well into the 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 uh, the uphill battle that Abu Raid was faced with. So it's so actually it's a uni- it's a I mean you touch on themes that it could be considered universal. Yeah, I mean I want people to if if you see this movie this year you feel uh, you'll feel something for it and if you see it in 20 years I think it'll be the uh, same identical movie in the context of history because it's 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 not defined by a period of time as much as it's something that is you know very um you can, you know, it could have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, or, or it happened an hour in 50 years. Um, and it's great because I've, I've screened the film, you know, we've screened it in Dubai, in the Middle East. We've right. played it, it's played in Jordan for a couple of months, and I've seen it also here in, at Sundance, and it's uh, in Dallas, and in the different, you know, parts of the States. And I have to say, the audience participation in the film is is, is fascinating to me because people laugh and really get into the movie the first half and then by the second half of the film you feel that the energy is just so sucked into the movie you feel every breath you feel the energy of the audience and um i had people come after the film like um when i was at sundance i had people come after the film and start telling me how much they loved abu raid the character and they would start tearing up because they're they're remembering him as if he's a real person, and so I, I, uh-huh. I it's 
I, I really feel that we succeeded in in uh, portraying uh, an Arabic character who is different than what you would typically see in the movies. For sure, for sure. Uh, it's some might call it even a feminist film on the way it tackles some of these issues. A what? A, femi- a feminist film. A feminist film, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> it, it it tackles many issues. You know, um, it it is very empowering to see. I think this female pilot, who is, you know, I I know of three um, uh, captain pilots in Royal Jordanian, the airline yeah. in Jordan um, that my father worked for. So. Um, you know, it's not. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not uncommon. Is it? Uh, is there a glass ceiling at all for for women in society? Um, there must be some kind of glass ceiling, right? That uh, um, there's certain know, jobs you Jordan, can't. Jordan is very moderate, so uh. I don't. Um, I even uh, there's female cops, there's female pilots, there's female parliament members, um, ministers. So it's you know you have the whole broad spectrum. There's. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's uh, conservative and maybe even suppressed uh, females in that society, and there's very liberated and very uh-huh. empowered uh, women. And so that's one of the things I tried to capture with the movie is the broad spectrum is all there. You see all colors and textures of the of of that world. Was it, was it hard to uh, pick the cast? Uh, how did you pick this the main character, for instance? Well, um, interesting story. Um, Nadim, who lives in London, right. and um, he's a stage actor, and he's done television and, and uh, of course, some movies here and there uh, over the years in uh, in in, um, in America. He um, he was going to Jordan back in 1993 on a flight with my father to film uh, some scenes with Roberto Benigni and Blake Edwards in the film The Son of the Son of the Pink Panther, and. My father told him, yeah, I have a son. I was, I think, 14 or 15 at the time, 14 maybe. Um, he said, uh, or no, 15, 15, 15 years old. He said, I have a son who's interested in film. And, and Nadim said, uh, well, bring him over to the set. So I went over, and he gave me a big hug and and introduced me to Benini and Blake Edwards. And he sat yeah. me behind Blake Edwards. I watched, the, you know, the filming and all that stuff. And I never forgot that day. And, uh, you know, I went on my own journey, and I came around and, uh, what, 16 years later or 15 or 14 years later, I called him up and I said, Nadim, uh, I have, uh, I don't know if you remember me, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was on the set of your movie, la, 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 la. And he said, yes, you're the son of the pilot. And I said, uh, yes. And, and I, I sent him the script and he read it and he, he, uh, he loved it and he gave me notes and, uh, and you know we worked our way to uh, into pre-production, and he he uh, he came on board, and it it, it was a, a fascinating experience. He's such a humble guy, such a loving guy, and and you, I think it comes across on the screen his relationship with the kids and just uh, everybody. I mean, he he he's such an amazing person, um, and I I miss him. You know, he's in London, and I I, I want to make another movie with him because he's just such a wonderful presence and he's always full of sayings and and uh and metaphors and you know just wisdom that i try to grab as much as possible i went to london in september and just hung out with him for four days and we drank tea and walked around london and just talked and talked about life and reflected on life and he said that you know he'd he'd gone to london to 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 
to do, you know, to perform in film and theater and, and television. He had done some BBC shows. And he felt like this was the long journey back home. Oh, yeah. After 50 years of being in the UK, he goes back to Jordan to, to finally make a movie where he's the lead role. And uh, it was incredible. And then I'll tell you a little bit about the kids. Um, yeah, yeah. The kids, we, we found that, you know, m most of the people in the movie, other than Nadim and, and uh, a couple of other people, uh, roles um everybody else is a non-actor and uh len schrader um who was one of the writing uh um, he was the head of the writing department at uh at afi i gave him my script one day and uh and asked him to read it and he said okay sure and he read it and he he uh he called me over to his office and and he said um who so how are you gonna cast these kids these are pretty complex roles you know they have pretty big arcs and, and a lot of things to do. And I said, well, I'm not sure yet. This was, uh, you know, while I was still studying directing. And um, and he said, why don't you go to orphanages and orphan centers? And, huh. and that's what I did. I, I, I went to the different refugee camps around Jordan and met with about 150 to 200 kids and just did on-camera, you know, introductions and interviews yeah. and met with them and role-played and improvised. And, and uh, it was mind mind blowing when we found the boy who would play Murad yeah. and as well the boy who would play Tariq I, I, you know and we continue to be part of their lives so they all come from these orphan centers in the refugee camps the slums of the slums yet they have so much brilliant talent and so much in their eyes that you just you just feel like you know them you know would they uh, any any kind of acting career in the future I hope so I mean I okay. plan to I plan to continue to be involved in their lives and and actually we we're now working on getting them into better schools um actually one of the best schools in jordan so we're trying to um you know get them to learn english so that you know i hope that they can come to colleges in the u.s and uh, we can uh. sponsor them and just try to make a difference you know go go you know have a story beyond the movie yeah uh, where we can make a difference it's not just about a movie but it's about people actually reaching out to help each other connect and, how, and yeah, realize something special. How old, how old are the kids? They're 14 now. Actually, Erdai just turned 14, um, and, uh, and Hussein turns uh, 15 in August. Wow. And how did you pick the, pi the female pilot? The female pilot, who's just stunning. <laughs> She's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, my mother saw her on television doing... Uh, well, she she used to watch her TV show. She she was a talk show host. She still has her show, by the way. Um, so she's not an actress, and she's thirty thirty one years old, um, my age actually. She just turned thirty two, and oh, maybe I shouldn't say her age on the radio. <laughs> um, she uh, she's she's a, a stunning woman, and my mom said, um, you know, because my mom lives in Jordan. She said uh, when she read the script, she said you have to meet, you have to see if you can talk to this this girl. And uh, naturally, I looked her up, and I, I just was completely captivated by her eyes and just these beautiful, their beautiful smile. And and I, I called her up and met with her, with my producer. First, at first, actually, when I sent her the script, she said, "I, I have, n I have no idea. I don't know anything about acting. You know, I'm not sure. This kind of sounds strange." And, and but I sent her the script, and she read it, and she called me, and she said, "I laughed and I cried, and I read it twice." And so. 
I said, great, are you interested? She's like, well, let's meet. And so we met, and she felt a little more comfortable. And uh-huh. and, uh, and what I realized is that she's a single mom in huh. Jordan, oh. which is very unusual. Yeah. And so I, I, I saw someone who is very different than the typical, you know, very comfortable, high-society uh, lifestyle. And so there was a pain underneath her smile that I just loved, and, and, and I, I thought... You know, here's someone who is strong, independent, very empowered. She produced her own show, and she was uh, very natural. You felt like this is someone you could, you know, continue to be friends with. So, and she was incredible in the movie. Yeah, and in the film, you depicted her as this independent woman that didn't want to be um, part of a arranged marriage. Uh, the father. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is is that still going on? Um, the parents tried to arrange uh, marriages. Yeah, I mean, they weren't trying to do the arranged marriage. They were just trying to hook her up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, just a date. Yeah, so, yeah. Although you know, the guy uh, was talking about having babies already. But, um. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see this all the time where there's mothers trying to get their sons to drive oh, yeah. their sons to to find a wife, and and mothers, you know, fathers trying to get grooms for their daughters. <laughs> um, and it's dealt in a funny way in the movie. I, I think it's it's. Yeah. Uh, it's there's so many funny stories. I have uh, a bunch of friends uh, back in Jordan who just tell me the funniest stories, and I, I thought that would that would kind of uh, be a great source of humor in the film. So because she she left the guy and says, "Oh, I'm going to kill myself or something." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't give it away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, how did uh, so generally pilots are from a different class, right? I mean, in the movies, the the, the kid one of the kids was saying, "Oh." This uh, captain is lying because he uh, ca- uh, pilots People cannot like be from this neighborhood. Pilots, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I usually mean, I it would you know, I be well paid. Uh, yeah. There is a, there is definitely a very social, uh, very strong social barrier where or or not even social barrier but economic. Uh, well, I don't know class barrier. You know. Yeah. Sure. I, I think for sure. It's you know the U.S. is probably one of the few places in the world where. Um, where you can rise from the bottom and make something of yourself. Even in Europe, you know, uh, uh, it's it's difficult. You know, the systems are different, and so um, so yeah. The, one of the kids, without giving anything away, is yeah. is, uh, is cynical and he doesn't see how this man. You know, he, he. I mean, the kids go with this man on this imagination, uh, on this imaginary. You know. Um, Journey, fantasy yeah. of his, and he takes them to other countries in his imagination, you know, in his stories right, and all this stuff. Right. But that's just a setup because really it's about how people, you know, how people see themselves trapped that, in in the environments that they're in, and how they connect, yeah, and how they connect and how they can reach out across those. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a real nice thing that uh, that I really loved when I was writing it is that. The pilot gives gets him a gift from New York one day, and then he passes the gift on to, or offers the gift to one of the kids, and and you know he finds the hat, and then he gives the hat over, and so he becomes the link between right. these, you know, these unlikely things. And I, I'm actually writing the novel based on the movie. Oh wow! And I'm, you know, I'm writing it's to kind of extend beyond the movie, the, his childhood, and and you know, I I, I mentioned this at a, f- a couple of screenings and. People said that I, I would be the first in line to, to buy the book because they yeah. they wanted to to find out more about his childhood, about his history, and all that stuff. So 
I'm fleshing out even more details that, you know, I want people to say I love the movie, and then I want them to say I love the book even more than the movie. All right, so, right, yeah, yeah. Make the reverse order here. Oh, that'd be cool, yeah. Like, uh, you know, in contrast to Kite Runner, which the, came out as a book first, I guess. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> then became a yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. Uh, but it'd be uh, unusual to have the author of the film also be the author of the novel. Right. And you, but you wrote the screenplay, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah. of course. The, uh, I was going to ask you about going back to your homeland to make a film. Is that, because I've had directors uh, here f- uh, on the show who went back to Vietnam, for instance, to film. And, of course, that's a different, you know, setup and all that. And so uh, all the bureaucracy and the uh, red tape and all that. Was there any of that going back to film in Jordan? You know, ever since we mentioned that uh, we announced that we're making Captain Abu Ra'ed as a Jordanian feature film and as a as a uh, as a as a production that would kind of be of high standard, high high quality, not a TV you know show or something yeah. like that. Um, the everybody in the country has been very very supportive. Uh, we 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 had people you know, give us things, do us favors, um, help out, um, get permits. Uh, I mean, we shot in a real-life functioning airport. Um, huh. yeah, I yeah. can't imagine shooting in LAX. Probably <laughs> um, <laughs> high security so, you can get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they gave us full the security. You know, w- it took a lot of coordination, a lot of planning just so yeah. that everything worked out. But the security, you know, we had to look at the, air, the flight schedules and we'd have to kind of um, adapt to any surprises and things like that. But they they let us shoot in the airport um, while it was actually functioning, which was great. I mean, no amount of money um, yeah. could buy that authenticity. Or, well, you can recreate it, but, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to kind of recreate that kind of authenticity with, with a, a $2 million budget movie, you know. So we got a lot of help from... Um, different parts of the, you know, the Royal Film Commission of Jordan, they were very helpful with logistics and, you know, and just making sure that we got, you know, the things that we needed to get done, and and, uh, and it worked out really nicely. How come it took so long for a feature film to be made there? You know, I think um, it's a mystery to me, but I, I will guess that it's, I mean, what I've heard is that any resources that were at once at one point considered to be uh, resources for cinema uh, ended up being absorbed by television, which is owned oh. by the government there. I see. So for the longest time, it was just, um, I don't know, it was just unheard of. In fact, when we were raising the money in Jordan for the movie, um, some people we approached thought it was kind of a funny idea to have a Jordanian cinema movie, huh. you know, as a, as a world export. Um, what what do people watch there? I mean, if they don't watch television, Hollywood films. Hollywood yeah, films. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go to the movies, and and you know, the multiplexes are full of you know all the Hollywood movies that that play here. In fact, they open about the same time now. How about uh, yeah. The releases. Wow. Yeah. How about uh, Korean films? Are they big? I mean, I know they're big in Asia, but um, are Korean not, films? Not very yeah. big. No, mm. not not um, not so much Korean films. There's some Egyptian films. Uh, of course, Egyptian films. Yeah, play over there because that's a big sure. industry in the Middle East. But um, not so much Korean. Not so much Indian. Uh, mostly Hollywood and Egypt. <laughs> huh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood's everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I grew up on. When I was there, I grew up on Spielberg. You know. Oh yeah. 
Hitchcock and David Lean, and those are the things that kind of got me started. So, so did, were you interested in film even as a young young boy? There. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it goes back to Superman and ET. I I I, I think that's where it was unleashed. You know. And then they're big on Japanese anime. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, the, I grew up on those two, uh, the Japanese animated TV shows like Treasure Island that was animated as a Japanese. Uh-huh. Uh, so you, you have an English novel, Treasure Island, that was animated in Japan and then overdubbed in, in, in incredible Arabic voices. And um, it haunted me, and I searched for that DVD set for the longest time. It was made back in the early 80s, yeah. or maybe even in the 70s, actually, but I remember watching it in the early 80s and then um and then uh, i finally found that set uh a few years ago and it still stands the test of time it's a little dated with the music but it's incredible yeah. um are all the so Holly- yeah, i grew up on those stories are all the hollywood films dubbed are, are no, they no, subtitled no. are they subtitled no, no, no. They're, they're in english yeah they're in english i mean oh yeah most people I don't know if most of you, but a lot of people speak English. Sure. Uh, um, you know, Jordan used to be a British colony for right. the, until 1946. So, um, so English influence is pretty big there. Is it now more American influence than British? Uh, well, certainly with globalization, um, I yeah. would say, you know, there's probably the biggest Starbucks I've ever seen in my life is in, <laughs> is in Amman. It's a three-story Starbucks. Oh, my God. And uh. it's huge, you know. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I would say I would say American influence is pretty big. And you know, it's, it's, it's Amman is divided into into two different um, kind of um, textures. There's East Amman, which is the old, and the the you know the old and kind of the 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 poor I would say or the the old and then there's West Amman which is like the high society and yeah, yeah. and all that but even if you go to East Amman you can find a New York Yankees hat downtown uh-huh, uh-huh. and you show that you show both both places in in your film yeah yeah both. definitely yeah it's yeah. a city built on seven hills as opposed to what most people think of as desert you know as the yeah. Middle East right right it's not desert at all I mean it's the most of the country is desert but there's certainly hills and and in the northern you know parts of Jordan it's it's very hilly and very you know Mediterranean and, and um, it, in fact after getting back from Sundance I was at Sundance in January and we were covered in snow and then we went straight <laughs> to Jordan and we were covered in snow in Jordan up to oh, our right. like up to our knees in snow snow yeah you'd never think of snow in the Middle East yeah, it's yeah, funny, but that's interesting. It is. Yeah. It's it's very Mediterranean. It's it snows in Jordan, doesn't snow in LA. So go figure. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Wow. That's amazing. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we I, well, I have another guest coming on later about another film fe- from another film festival, the Asian Pacific uh, Film Festival, that starts in LA this week. But uh, your film, uh, Captain Abu Raid, is at uh, is the closing night film at the Newport Beach International Film Festival on Thursday. It's at eight o'clock. Uh, at uh, 7.30. Uh, 7.30, 7.30 at the, at the Lido, at the Lido in Newport Beach. And yeah. you can go, for more information, you can go to the website. Of, actually, the, sub, the radio website has links to the, all the information, kuci.org slash tilde, D-T-S-A-N-G. Or you can go to newportbeachfilmfest.com uh, and get more information. And we've been talking with the director of the film, uh, Captain Abu Raid. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I mean, All right. thanks Take a lot. Care. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was uh, 
the uh, director of this new film, uh, From Jordan, the first film in decades from Jordan. Uh, it will be the closing night film at the ongoing uh, Newport Beach International Film Festival, which is uh, right now going on in um, Newport Beach area, mostly at the Islands Theatres at Edward Islands in Fashion Island. Uh, in Fashion Island, actually. Uh, but on Thursday, this uh, 7.30, there will be this closing film, um, Abu Raid. And we just talked to Amin Matalka here on Subversity, here on KUCI with Dan Zhang. Um, the opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regions of the University of California, nor the manage- management of KUCI. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking with another director who has a different film, uh, this time from Indonesia. Um, and that film is showing at the Asian Pacific Internet, uh, Asian Pacific Film Festival. And that's uh, online. Uh, you can get information about that film, Chance of the Lotus, uh, at uh, www.vconline.org. And that's a film festival that's starting actually on Thursday. So um, today we're going to be <laughs> engrossed in uh, film uh, festivals. And while this is going on, we have our pledge drive. And you can um, go online at KUCI.org and get the information on donating to support this public radio station here. This independent radio station, the only one in Orange County that uh, is based in Orange County that gives you programs like this one that covers international film festivals, uh, that brings you directors from around the globe, um, that brings you progressive activists and filmmakers from around this area as well as around the globe. Um, on this show, on Subversity, and on other uh, public affairs shows here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, KUCI.org. You can get information on donating to this station and pledging to support the continuation of this, um, this station. We need your help. Do Go online at KUCI.org. We're going to take a little break here, and we'll be back shortly. Hi. Uh, welcome back to Subversity here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine. Um, hi. Hi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, with us on the phone is uh, Fatima Tobing uh, Roni. Uh, who is a film uh, and media studies professor here at UC Irvine, but also a director. And she's the co-director of a film showing at the Asia-Pacific uh, Film Festival uh, coming up. Um, yeah, uh, why did you do this film? Why did you go, to Indo- go back to Indonesia and do this film? <laughs> uh, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, we can okay, hear. Great. Can you hear? Um, yeah. Why did I make this film? Well, uh, I was invited by the producer, Nia Dinata, to be part of a group of four women directors to create a narrative feature film about stories uh, concerning Indonesian women. So 
this group, we uh, got together with two writers, and we did research all around Indonesia about uh, different aspects of women's lives, including uh, teenage sex, abortion, wow. child trafficking, and AIDS. Like, yeah, all the heavy-hitting subjects, all the this, all this subjects that are never shown on, on film. And it's called uh, Chant of Lotus. Chants of Lotus, yes. In Indonesian, it's actually called Perempuan Punya Cerita, which means women-owned stories. Huh. But uh, originally, the title was uh, Chants of Lotus or Lotus Requiem because of the idea that the lotus is this flower that grows even in the middle of this disgusting mud. You know, <laughs> the lotus will emerge uh, uh, intact. Flower will still emerge. So that's the metaphor. Did you take uh, oppor- take um, take responsibility for part for one particular segment, or did you? Right. Yeah. So what happened was two very talented uh, screenwriters, uh, Melissa Karim and uh, Vivian uh, Idris. They wrote the four screenplays or the four short screenplays. And uh, in May, we sat around the table, uh, the four directors and the two writers, and decided on who would get which script. Uh, Lasha, who is incredibly talented young uh, director, she was eight months pregnant at the time. So wow. she was the one who would shoot in Jakarta in case, uh, you know, she had to be rushed to the hospital. <laughs> and that's the story of uh, <laughs> the Chinese-Indonesian woman who contacts AIDS and lives in Jakarta. And uh-huh. uh, I ended up with a story about uh, a woman who is uh, very ill with breast cancer. She's a midwife, and she's faced with the dilemma of whether or not to uh, perform an abortion, which is uh, not completely legal in Indonesia. Are all the women Muslim? Are all the women Muslim? That's a good question. That were the directors? Oh, the, uh, <laughs> oh no, I meant the, in the, uh, depicted. Depicted. Uh, 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 they were depicted. Well, uh, the, the Chinese-Indonesian woman, her name is, uh, I think it's Lakshmi. No, she's not. But the rest of the women are Indonesian. I mean, I'm sorry, are, are Muslim. It's funny because, you know, it's a, uh, Indonesia is a, the largest Muslim country in the world. So... There are uh, Hindus and Christians, but uh, it's still a very large Muslim country. So, yeah, so in general, yeah, you would have Muslims. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, 80% or something, right? Uh, something. More, than, more that. than that. And, yeah. and definitely the largest Muslim country in the world. Yeah, definitely. In terms of population, yeah. And um, did you... Did you have any trouble? I've had people, I just asked this question earlier of the other guest and uh, going back to their home countries to make films. Was there, was there a lot of red tape or anything like that? Uh, no, because uh, what happened was, and, and this is actually uh, one of the great things about film festivals, why they actually, I think, shape culture uh, in, in a strange way. I uh, was showing a short at uh, the same festival in 2004, and Nia was showing uh, her feature film, Arisan, ah. and, we, and that's how we met. And uh, typical Indonesian hospitality, she said, ah, you know, if you're ever in Jakarta, you can come work in my office. <laughs> so I went back and, w- I, and and still go back and forth to Indonesia. I've been going back and forth working there. Well, I, I shouldn't say working there, but uh, doing research there. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
for a few years now, and uh, her company, Kalyanashira, is an incredibly well-organized and devoted uh, company. So, uh, so that, that, yeah, it was no problem. It was an Indonesian production. And so it's, uh, uh, it's is there like a, there, it seems to be a flowering of independent films there. Ah, uh, yes. Well, what happened was, in the 90s, the, the industry went into the toilet because... <laughs> Uh, of the influx of foreign films. Foreign films are allowed in, and then cable uh-huh. TV was allowed. So, for example, in the year 2000, only four feature films were made. But what that meant, ironically, was that this very male-dominated industry, all of a sudden you had these young women come in who were whip-smart and who didn't care and who wanted to huh. make free, creative, independent, do-it-yourself films. These were producer-directors like Mia Dinata, Shanti Harmain, Mireille Semana, couple of women, so that uh, I think it's kind of ironic that as a filmmaker, it's actually easier to make a film in Indonesia in some ways as a woman than it is here in the U.S., where there are more women in the Senate than there are who direct top-grossing Hollywood films. Ironically, in this (laughs) so-called Muslim country, women directors are very free. Because they they don't have to go through any... uh, Do they have to clear it with the government, any of the films? Well, our film was actually heavily, heavily, heavily censored. But we have a very brave producer who did not, who let us run free. And so, uh, so unfortunately, every reel of the film except for one was brutally cut. Uh. Uh, and so this is a fight, or shall I say a challenge or a struggle that is going on now. There's a movement, Masyarakat uh, Film Indonesia, which is... Uh, a community of film activists, filmmakers, who are trying to change the law so that uh, the sen- so there would no longer be censorship, but right. um, what you, like a rating system. It's more fear of Islamic groups in the country rather than that the government is so against what. So it's like self kind of censorship in a way. Exactly, but yeah. the film that that is showing in the U.S. of course will be uncensored with subtitles. Oh, oh, because yeah, I've so had that, um, that's rare, very yeah. Rare. I've had John Badalu, uh, Badalu from um, the Q-Fest on, and uh, he he did a end run around the censorship boards because he realized the censorship laws only applied to films that you charge money for. <laughs> and so oh, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> so he didn't charge anything for his festival. That's exactly right. And uh, also, I have to say that uh, what's really interesting is that if it's funny, it is rarely censored. There's something about comedy that's, that is sort of, uh, how shall I say, is not scrutinized as readily. So, for example, the film following Chance of Lotus, which is an absolutely funny film called Quickie Express, uh-huh. also produced by Nia Dinata, uh, an Indonesian feature film, uh, was, I believe, not censored. And it's about young male prostitutes servicing older women. Oh, wow. But uh-huh. a film like Chance of Lotus, which is a dramatic feature film, was really everything was, so much was cut. For example, uh, a woman wearing a head covering, smoking, and talking about sex. Like, all uh. of her dialogue is cut out. So that watching the censored film was like, you know, uh, it was just, uh, for a filmmaker, it's, it's just sort of like watching your, you know, something being um, amputated. Disemboweled <laughs> or something. Disemboweled, yeah. Experience, yeah. How, how did the did they cut a lot of the teen? You said there was scenes of teenage sex. There were scenes. 
did yeah. that or so talking about that? This, is, this was the shocking thing to find out as mothers, and this is another ironic point, is that all of the film directors were all mothers um, <laughs> and uh, uh, young mothers, yeah. I would say. <laughs> and, uh, uh, what we found out, which was shocking for us, was that um, teenagers find out about sex through handphones and through yeah. internet cafes. Text and messaging. What they find out yeah. of, sorry? Text messaging or something. Exactly. Yeah. Sending pornography over, over phones and stuff. So uh, wow. what was shocking is that, of course, that's not, uh, it's just pornography, but that's, that's not that's not sex, you know, it's a, it's a completely different thing, but they were learning about things that way, huh. and then, um, uh, so, uh, we found one instance, actually, of, um, terrible story of a woman who had, uh, I should say, probably been, uh, uh how do, how do I put this, uh, she had had sex with, with various men, and, uh, boys, actually, they're all in, uh, young people, and she got pregnant, and so the question was, who would be the father? Well, t- in sort of typical fashion, somebody has to marry her, so there was a lottery that was... Oh, my God. Uh, oh. Uh, you know, where we, uh, Indonesians call it a lottery, but where you uh, take out a number from a sprite can. Oh. And uh, that, we actually used that uh, story in the film. Now, so when we showed the group sex, yeah, and, and it's a fine line whether it's group sex or that she's actually being abused by a group of boys, a group of teenage boys. Yeah. Um, uh, that was cut, the group sex. But uh, except for the sex with, with, one, with one of the boys. So then, of course, the meaning of that story becomes uh, vanishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that section, uh, which was on the group, the teenage sexes, was very shocking for even, even for uh, us, the filmmakers, yeah, film yeah. directors. And, there, and there's a point to the shocking, you know, it's sort of like wake up parents and see <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, really. <laughs> Without dialogue with children, if they're just learning about sex through, you know, uh, internet cafes and what are called waternet, which is like, yeah, basically you would translate it internet cafes, then, huh. uh, you know, there's, uh, it, it's very, very dangerous for the girls. So it's a generation gap there, too. Yes. Definitely. Did, did, um, did you, um, did you have, uh, you, so you have two versions, right? You have one that you can release uh, domestically and then one mm-hmm. over there and then you can, exactly. or another you can, it, uh, they don't care that you show it at uh, film festivals abroad, the uncut mm, version? No, and in fact, one could show Chance of Lotus uncensored as long as one isn't charging money. Oh, right. That's exactly so that was right what John Badalou said. That's yeah. the law. and uh, we have been taking this film around to various communities in Indonesia with the nice thing about this film which is very unusual I think you you can't really compare it to a a, a US film this had major theatrical release in all the big cities in Indonesia wow Um, and it will also have this uh, life of circulation for several years afterwards as it's brought to women's groups yeah as a film of discussion. For sure. And the great thing also was that um, uh, we cast very famous, very beautiful <laughs> women actors so that we hope, for example, the woman who plays Sumantri, the midwife, 
in the, the section that I directed is, is an incredibly famous uh, comedian, uh-huh. sort of like Lucille Ball or Tina Fey or somebody like that. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, she has a very serious role. So hopefully people are, are come to see um, Rika, the comedian, and end up going home thinking about Sumantri, the midwife. So that was uh, part of the goal of the film, was to try to uh, persuade audiences to come see, you know, a film that, if it was a documentary, might not have as wide yeah, appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you prefer doing uh, documentaries or or feature films, or, I mean, non-fiction films, or fiction films? Oh, myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a filmmaker on the smallest little... <laughs> 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 I uh, haven't made documentary films, but what's interesting is that when I tell people I make films in Indonesia, they assume I'm a documentary filmmaker. There's something about uh, the uh, there's something about being there's something about Indonesia that is sort of seen as being without uh, how shall I put it? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? There's a kind of stereotype that goes on. And it, it's in yeah. part because the Indonesian film industry is not as well known as, say, the Thai film industry. But if in 2000 there were only four feature films made, this year there were about 60 feature films made. Um, so it's a growing, uh, it's a growing um, uh, cinema. But there are so many talented people doing their second, third, fourth feature film that... I'm confident that it will start to get uh, international recognition. Yeah, I, um, is it very frenetic? This scenes, and I haven't seen your film. And um, how how are the how the sh- the stories told? Is is I mean, uh, you, you, the uh, pace uh, of uh, Indonesia yeah, is like very frenetic, mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the uh, okay, it's, a pace. it's the pace. It's the pace. <laughs> the pace. teenage sex film is sort of like kids. Do you yeah, know yeah. What I mean, it's sort of filmed right. very graphically, almost like a documentary with young people talking in vernacular or talking in slang. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, um, the one on child trafficking, which was directed by Nia Dinata, is shot in a typical sort of, her style is very, you know, saturated colors, very vivid, very well told, uh, lots of ensemble work. Um, the last film by Lasha on uh, Lakshmi is very beautifully told. She was an art director. The, the art direction is exquisite. <clears throat> and uh, my film is uh, dark. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and of all of the films, it was shot on an island, uh, an island that's three hours from Jakarta. With no ele- we had no electricity. There's no fresh water. They're a very poor island. Um, it is probably the less cutty of the three films. In other words, there's a lot of static, uh, that more uh, establishing wider shots in the film because of the nature of the film. Uh, it, when you're shooting on a, uh, in, a, in a very beautiful location with ocean <laughs> yeah. and wide uh, sky, uh, uh, the shots are going to be different than if you're shooting uh, a segment on teenagers having wild sex in, in you know, a small town in Java. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, but yeah. uh, the, the DPs were, were the same, so that's uh, another thing that's interesting. Anything uh, in black and white or you use color all the time? 
all color. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a very rare chance to see uh, Indonesia, Sons of Indonesia. You know, people think of Bali bombing or they think of ninjas or they uh, <laughs> maybe they think of avian flu or perhaps they think about lulur scrub in Bali and, you know, surfing and... But this is a side of Indonesia. Even Indonesians are shocked by <laughs> poverty, child trafficking. I mean, these things exist and go on, and uh, they are rarely depicted on screen, even in this country, I'd say. You know, so it's, kind of a, yeah, it's, it's going to show on Sunday, right? Sunday at 5 p.m. At the, at the Director's Guild, Sunset in Fairfax in Los Angeles. In Los yeah. Angeles. And um, it's different from the film... Uh, I, I remember reviewing a film you did uh, short um, that was set in g- g- kind of queer Asian dance clubs. Uh, uh, everything, e- everything in between. In between. <laughs> <laughs> at the same festival. Who is in love with her best friend, yes. At the same uh, festival. Different, yeah. Before. Uh, different, but still, it's a dr- you know, they're, they're both dramatic films uh, where people are really trying to get a sense of who they are and struggling with the questions that all of us face, which is, who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? What right. does it matter? What is life about? I mean, those are all the questions that are in all of those films. And uh, filmmaking is just the greatest adventure in the world. Well, would the DVD version <laughs> have the, be the uncensored version, or can you distribute that uh, internationally? Uh, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I'm sure they will. I'm sure that they have a, a DVD screener for festivals, and I'm sure that they'll have an uncensored DVD. Yes, they must. They that would make sense, especially if it was distributed in the U.S. Right, that's great. Well, thank you very much, Fatima. Uh, that's the end of our time. Uh, Ten oh, o'clock. Yes. Thank so you. Uh, yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Good luck, Sunday. Bye bye. Uh, that was uh, Fatima Tobing Roni, uh, who teaches at Film and Media Studies here at UC Irvine. You've been listening to Subversity here on KUCI. Um, earlier, we talked with the director of another film that's going to be the closing night film at the Newport Beach International Film Festival Thursday at the Lido Theater in Newport Beach. And that was Amin Matauka. And that um, film is the closing night film at 7.30 at the Lido. Lido in Newport Beach. And for these film festivals, you can go to the Subversity website and click on the links there. D, uh, sorry, KUCI.org slash tilde DTSANG. And you can call 824-949-824-5824 and pledge uh, to support this show and other shows here on KUCI. 949-824-5824. Thanks for listening. This is Dan Sung with Subversity, and audio recordings of the show will be online at kuci.org slash tilde, D-T-S-A-N-G.